Welcome to the Permaculture Podcast, and an episode that, at only a little over a half an hour, covers a lot of ground. I'm your host, Scott Mann. Our guest today is Joshua Cubista, a permaculture practitioner from the American Southwest who teaches at Prescott College. Though the title of this episode, Experiential Design and Capacity Building in Permaculture Education, is quite a bit of a mouthful, you might just think of it as episode 1623, what follows does stay rather technical in how Joshua shares his message with us, but the core of the conversation is fairly simple. How do we create better educational experiences for students by design and build their abilities, talents, and skills to accomplish their personal goals inside and outside the classroom? And then, as their educational experience continues, how they can work collaboratively in community. As I say, we do cover quite a bit in this episode, so you'll find many links in the resource section of the show notes, which includes Joshua's website and how to connect with him. Before we begin, I want to say that this podcast is a lot like your local public radio station. It's dependent on listener support. Unlike public media, however, this podcast doesn't receive any government funding. Quite simply, it continues to exist within the gift economy, which includes the sponsors you've heard on the show. Right now, there are 67 people and four organizations that help to bring permaculture to thousands and thousands of people every week. If you're not one of those supporters, what they're doing makes sure that you can continue to listen to this show. And I'd like to see the number of folks who help keep this on the air grow to 200 or more by the end of July. Can we do that together? Become a sustaining supporter at patreon.com slash permaculturepodcast or make a one-time donation via the paypal.me link in the show notes or via the donation button on the side of the main page. Thank you, as always, for being a part of this podcast. The sponsor for this episode is The Fifth World, a role-playing game initially created by Jason Gadeski, but that is now influenced by a growing community of authors, artists, designers, gamers, and dreamers, which includes me as I'm a longtime gamer, and every time I run into Jason, I like to sit down and talk with him about how development on The Fifth World is going. This open-source RPG looks to explore a neo-tribal, ecotopian, animist future. What will your world look like in this feral future? Find out more and get involved at thefifthworld.com. Also be sure to visit the other sponsors, Permi Kids, Your Garden Solution, and The Good Seed Company, using the links in the show notes. Now then, on to Joshua. I'll join you again afterwards. Joshua, thank you for joining me today. And as I always like to start these conversations, I was wondering if you'd give us a bit of your biography and background, and we'll take the interview from there. Thanks so much, Scott. I'm, I'm really happy to be here with you. And, um, you know, I think for me, the place where my story begins is really uh, at the beginning in that uh, when I was born, I was born into a family where our craft or our trade was actually uh, facilitating large-scale human potential trainings um, in the 70s and 80s. So I literally grew up in a context where experiential design and facilitation were a part of, of my upbringing, and it afforded some amazing opportunities to uh, learn and connect with communities around the world and communities of practice around the world around how do we actually design and collaborate in ways that lead towards desired futures. And when I grew up, I grew up in northern Ontario, Canada. So in the Great Lakes region was sort of the ecology of the place that I grew up and in farms and in fields. And so really sort of growing up embedded in nature um, was a part of my initial uh, relationship to the more than human world or the natural world. 
at a very young age, I started exploring uh, from a, one perspective, the natural environment through survival skills training. And so really getting a sense of how do we relate to the natural environment in our most basic and connected way of uh, creating a sense of place and a sense of home. And uh, from there, I also went to a, a, a Waldorf school, uh, which means that it gave me opportunities to connect to biodynamic farming very early on in terms of farm practicums and, and learning different methods from that tradition. And then uh, in grade seven, actually, was the first time that I connected with permaculture. We were asked to do a year, end of year project. And I remembered in my uh, mom's reading office, uh, she had one of Bill Mollison's books. And I remember looking through the book at that young age and just being amazed by the diagrams and, and photographs and trying to understand what it was talking about. And so I, I used that as a, as a project to be able to explore. And, and actually the first sort of design that I did that was based upon permaculture. It was like with Lego and just, you know, creating a, an environment to using some of the principles and ethics. So with that sort of early, you know, connection to some of the permaculture principles and the relating to nature in, in an intentional way, um, I've dove into both leadership capacity building in my work and focused on sustainable community development. And so uh, my work has both included international work around exploring what does it mean to create sustainable communities. And I got a BA from Prescott College in sustainable community development and integral psychology. And I did my PDC at uh, the Findhorn Eco Village in Scotland, which was a profound opportunity to explore uh, both intentional community and permaculture and how it can serve creating those kinds of communities. And also spent time at uh, the Esalen Institute in California, both participating in their work-study program, so a month intensive there working in their garden and doing personal capacity building work as well. And from all of those experiences, I've been building both my own understanding of sort of the interrelated aspects of how applied permaculture can contribute to designing and creating systems change that leads towards sustainability, and then also using education as a context and a method to be able to support people to learn how to bring these processes into their lives um, and, and practice them together collaboratively to, to create systems change. I would say that um, at this point, what I'm really most excited around within my work is focusing on personal, social, and systemic leadership capacity building and using tools and frameworks and methods like permaculture to support our ability to create intentional and, and sustainable futures together. Now, you mentioned some terms there that I only have a passing familiarity with. So I was wondering if you could give us a bit of an idea of what experiential design is, as well as what you mean by leadership capacity building. Absolutely. So um, experiential design for me is, is really about how do we design the conditions for individual and group learning to take place through the intentional creation of context in which learning is able to foster different specific skill sets and capacities that allow us to 
in the case of sustainability education, work towards creating our future together. And so I suppose linked to that is this idea of capacity building where oftentimes education in the past has, has really been focused on personal development as a means of developing our skills and our capacities to be able to employ or put into practice the things that we're learning on an individual level. And I think one of some of the trends that we're really seeing in the world based upon the challenges that we're facing is that there's an opportunity to shift the purpose of education to include this sort of sense of capacity building or sense of developing skills, but also shift the purpose towards basically making the world a better place and through contribution-based education, developing our skills and our capacities to not only improve our individual lives, but do that in a way that also serves the larger sustainability of our society and in the context of the biosphere in which we live. So this idea of experiential design is kind of a meta-analysis of the educational environments required to produce the type of learning necessary to impart on someone the skills needed for a particular area of study? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So then that would be something like if you want to teach somebody carpentry, you're going to design a classroom space that has the tools for carpentry where they can get their hands on the materials and actually begin to work with wood and things like that. That could include not only how to use that wood itself, but also do things like estimate materials, drafting, and everything that goes into being a carpenter, but addressing that classroom space and the education that someone would receive in a way that is focused around the needs of that skill set in particular. Yes, absolutely. And, and I, I might add to that, that in the context of experiential education as well, that creating synthesis between the study of theory and the application of practice and the inviting the experiences that allow people to engage meaningfully with the area of study that they're focusing on is something that you know is, is common in a lot of different traditions um, and certainly something that I think is ideally woven into permaculture and education of permaculture already around the world. With permaculture already having a lot of experience blending between the lecture when we might talk about some of the higher order some of the higher order philosophical ideas like the ethics or the principles as well as then the hands-on not only design practicum where we're learning to draw and map but also the hands-on skills for learning how to do things like plant plants raise them tend them and the other hands-on skills that go with it absolutely i mean i think that all of that could be ways to understand and see examples of experiential education. And yet, of course, in the permaculture context, because all of those things are so woven together, I really actually think permaculture education in general is one of the really strong, strong examples that we have around the world of a whole community of practice who's really bringing in multi-modes of education in a way that is not only sharing the intent of what in this case, permaculture uh, offers, but also really doing that in profoundly meaningful ways that connect to people in, term, in individually, community-based, and certainly globally as well. And that community of practice kind of ties back into that idea of leadership capacity building because it provides a space for the people who are learning these ideas to bring their knowledge to the table and 
So it's not just a direct transmission from an instructor to a student, but also what the student then returns to the classroom so that they're elevated beyond the role of just someone as a passive participant in the learning process? Certainly. And I, and I would say that in a way, a lot of those elements contribute to this idea of building the field itself, or at least deepening the field of practice itself, where in the context of permaculture specifically, we have people who are practitioners practicing the art of permaculture. We have people who are continuing to develop uh, the theories and methods and tools uh, that are within the umbrella of permaculture. And then there's research that's being done that supports all of those different levels. And so there's many different ways in which people are contributing to this overarching community of practice of permaculture that leads to the whole uh, advancement of this field, uh, which is an amazing thing to both witness and, and hopefully contribute to. One question that I have remaining from your introduction is you talk about sustainable community development. And I was just wondering, what resources do you pull from in order to learn more about that idea and what is needed for sustainable community? Two books that come to mind that that are relatively familiar for permaculture practitioners are Christopher Alexander's A Pattern Language, as well as The Barefoot Architect by Johan von Lengen. And I was wondering if those two books are something that you've referred to in your work on sustainable communities, or if there are other resources that you might point us towards. Well, you know, there's such a, a variety of amazing resources out there in regard to sustainability, and uh, two specific organizations, and really in and of themselves, frameworks for understanding sustainability that have been really impactful for me. The first one would be the framework for uh, strategic sustainable development that was developed uh, in Sweden about 30 years ago and is now used around the world to define what is sustainability and how can we put that into practice in our lives and in our organizations. And so they have methods and tools of understanding sustainability that allow us to put that into context to the way our biosphere works. And then there's many, many case studies that have been used, again, around the world to be able to explore uh, what scientific-based definition of sustainability might mean. That's one area, and their international organization that's often associated with them is called the Natural Step. So another organization doing some really profound work in sustainability is the Sustainability Laboratory, which is based in New York City, um, and they have projects around the world. And... Um, the Sustainability Laboratory has its own set of uh, sustainability principles and through them use methods such as systems dynamics and, and other kinds of community building techniques to be able to bring in this idea of, well, what is sustainability and how can we really put that into a context that makes sense for the biosphere in which we live and that can be practiced by the communities of which we're a part and that we can actually begin to understand what that means. And so I think in both of these cases, whether it's the a framework for a strategic sustainable development or the approach from the sustainability laboratory that there are both looking at sustainability in a systemic way and then inviting people to actually engage and practice with that work uh, in a way that actually can lead towards common definitions and sustainable futures. With that background and these tools in mind, where does that lead your current work? So my work at this point focuses on personal, social, and systemic leadership capacity building. And I have an organization that I'm founding now called Evolution Lab, the purpose of which is to develop 
leadership capacities at all these different levels and create really a portfolio of learnings and practice and action research that we can use to be able to create sustainable futures. And one of the places where, you know, I'm specifically proto or experimenting with these kinds of ideas is at Prescott College uh, in Arizona, where I'm the designer and facilitator, teacher of a course called Permaculture for Systemic Change. And in the Permaculture for Systemic Change class, uh, what we do is we focus on strategic evolution and sustainability, collaborative leadership capacity building, and permaculture design as a set of perspectives that allow us to be able to develop our capacities as designers and facilitators and uh, maverick artist change leaders is what I like to call it. But really, you know, being able to create our own synthesis of these kinds of tools and practices that are out there that allow us to create sustainable futures. So I've had amazing time learning with students at Prescott College across the whole borderlands region around what does it mean to create sustainability? How do we actually understand the places from which we live? And how do we contribute to the character and quality of the systems from which we come from and that we're also a part of creating? So that's that's one specific place. And then another one would be that I've actually just started a new project on the border of Arizona and Mexico with a group of ecologists and conservationists and anthropologists uh, who are creating uh, what they're calling the Borderlands Restoration Leadership Institute. And so it's a, a leadership institute that focuses on developing regenerative leadership capacities through the restoration of ecology and culture along this whole borderlands region through the creation of a restoration economy. And in this context, what that means is that creating an economy that brings back uh, resources and regenerates and restores the ecology and the cultures that are already here and doing that in a way that brings jobs and opportunities to the region through the restoration of the region rather than through the extraction of resources, whether they're ecological or social. So through these projects, you're really pushing what it means for people who are doing this kind of holistic work, permaculture practitioners or others, to move them beyond just a particular focus, be that in the landscape or a given discipline, to have a much broader impact and a push not only the landscape edges, but also the cultural? Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the profound things about permaculture is the way that through the ethics, for example, it invites us to uh, really holistically bring together our relationship to the earth and to society and to how we're distributing the surpluses that are created in our activities. And so through that, there's such an amazing opportunity to utilize permaculture principles, practices, the ethics, to actually imagine what sustainability could look like on a large scale and then be able to practice that at all these different levels. That really helps to move permaculture as a practice beyond the landscape, something that's been in conversation over the last couple of years and is beginning to emerge. Has this always been your focus in blending these together to look at it from a cultural and a social systemic perspective? Or was there a time when you started in the landscape and you came to moving in this direction? You know, initially, I think because my work was focused towards human potential and personal development, there was a time at which I felt although I loved that work and I still do love that work, that what was really missing was this 
uh, more social and shared and specifically the ecological uh, elements in terms of, you know, if we're developing our individual capacities in a way that leads us towards doing the wrong things righter, like in that, you know, we're able to get better and better at doing things that may be self-serving, but they're potentially harming our society or harming the ecologies within which we live, then there's something, you know, that's that's out of balance there or out of alignment. And so that was actually one of the main reasons or that cognitive dissonance between something I loved doing and feeling that there was a major gap that brought me into a desire to study sustainable agriculture. And so I really did, in some sense, a 180 and dove much more deeply into sustainable agriculture and nature farming and from Japan and looking for at how can we understand our relationship to the ecologies of which we're a part and then how do we actually develop our skills to be stewards and in relationship to the land in a way that not only builds healthy relationships but also can be a part of really regenerating them um, and bringing health to where we live and and through that practice I think I've certainly come full circle through organizational work and community work back into this sense of uh, just a question of how do we bring all of these spheres together in a way that really can translate into meaningful systemic change. And and I think so there's been a variety of different elements of that journey that have continued for me to keep coming back to this idea that like if we just use the permaculture ethics, for example, that those three ethics are inextricably linked. And if we can include those in every project that we do at every scale that we do and be in the practice of learning how to uh, be integrative in that way and interdisciplinary, uh, we increase the probability of creating systems that can work at each of those levels. One of my my friends and colleagues, Ethan Hughes, he talks about that idea of, of our ability to actually create change, that if we don't do it, our chance is zero. But that if we do do it individually, our chance of doing it is like 0.001% that something will happen, <laughs> but it is still greater than zero. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, but if we have if we have a million people working on this, or we have 10 million people or 100 million, and all of them have different projects going, then statistically, that becomes an actual, you know, movable percentage that we can work from. Absolutely. You know, and, and I tend uh, to, at this point, I mean, one of the things I'm most passionate about just in terms of the uh, one avenue through which this kind of work can take place is through an approach called social labs or social innovation labs or sometimes called, but really, you know, what it is, is that it's taking an experimental approach to creating uh, models and examples of what you know, sustainability could look like or applications of permaculture can look like or a variety of different things that contribute to this idea of meaningful change. And we try them, we test them out, we learn from our mistakes, and we then uh, explore, well, what does it mean to do that in ways that are really collaborative and that get to the root causes and do that in a way that's experimental. And, uh, and I think one of the reasons that that resonates with me so much is because we're in such a complex situation that we're facing in the world and in increasing levels of complexity, um, accelerated rates of change, so many different elements of the whole picture. And within that, nobody necessarily has the whole answer themselves. So being able to come together to collaborate and to experiment together and really create portfolios of innovation is something that I think can really contribute to that, the humility to learn what it means to learn together in a way that leads towards 
systems change and sustainability in a way we've never known before. And part of that is that we can in endeavor to increase the probability. And, you know, there's a level of um, integrity with the amount of things we don't know and the opportunities to learn together on what, on what we already do know. And I think a lot of that often comes down to relational innovation uh, more than it does around ideation. With collaboration, it's not an additive process where one and one person working together is two. It becomes more multiplicative the more people that we add to it because of the increased number of relationships that occur within a single meeting or a conversation between a large group of individuals. Absolutely. And, and I think that one of the things that we're facing in the world is the realization that fundamentally many of the exponential challenges that we're facing hold within them also exponential opportunities. And I think that we are in a situation that requires of us a learning into, well, what would it mean to have exponential collaboration? And I think the exploration of that in itself could be profoundly exciting um, in regard to how we apply the ingenuity uh, and the inspiration that's a part of our human community. And looking through the notes from our conversation so far, you've provided a lot of resources for people if they want to learn more or get involved. Are there any other resources or opportunities that you would suggest for folks, either how they can become experiential designers and have a part of this, how they can step up into leadership roles or to grow the capacity for change within the permaculture community? Well, you know, there's a variety of uh, organizations around the world who are uh, really deepening the practice around these sort of uh, integrative perspectives. I would say that the Academy for Systemic Change uh, is one organization that is profoundly creating learning opportunities to both develop leadership capacity, but also using an integrative approach uh, and creating models and examples of how that work can be done around the world. Um, so that would certainly be one. I think that Zaid Hassan's work and the book he wrote, Social Labs Revolution, is another excellent resource to be able to look into different aspects of what we've explored in this conversation. And then I wrote a book called Prototyping Our Future, Social Labs for a Sustainable, Regenerative, and Thriving Future. And that's a free and open source guidebook that's available to people online. And you know, I think one of the things that we're seeing out in the world is just more and more organizations all over the world who are really trying to bring together the uh, different tools and methods that allow for people to create meaningful change. And I would just say that although that this isn't a specific place to look, I think that the more people choose to just ask the meaningful questions that are important to them, that there is a an abundance of excellent places and resources to be able to not only build capacity, but also um, to engage with meaningful communities of practice. And maybe I'll just add one more here specifically, which, for example, I think the Art of Hosting community, that's a global community, is, for example, an excellent place to explore collaborative facilitation and experiential design. And as you mentioned that, there are a few resources that are coming to mind that are emerging that would also be places that people can engage in the future through the movement of movements as well as the schools of liberation. Absolutely. And I mean, just in terms of education, there's uh, the Global Education Futures Forum is an amazing group of educators and educational innovators who I'm a part of working with that does really amazing work in terms of the future of education and how we might bring in things like permaculture into education in a way to really support us in, in larger systemic change. I really appreciate 
all these resources that you shared with us so that people can explore this more. In looking at permaculture and the work that we have to do, I feel in many ways that our on-the-ground techniques and the things that we do for gardening and landscape restoration, in many ways, they almost feel solved. We have a plenty of information on how to do what we need to do to take care of Earth. But now, as we've done that for so long, that taking care of people, including self-care, is kind of the new frontier for permaculture and one of the hardest things for us to do. Because not only do we have to ensure that we ourselves are in a good place, but then also turn that energy that we have back out into the world to take care of others. And sometimes that can be the hardest thing to do. Absolutely. You know, and, and I have a dear friend and colleague and teacher, uh, John Phillips, who uh, was the one uh, who initially taught me about nature farming from Japan and the use of effective microorganisms or EM uh, in in agriculture, and uh, he's the founder of an organization called uh, Gardening for Peace. And Gardening for Peace, for example, the purpose of that is really the inner cultivation of the individual and the community through the intentional practice of gardening in a way that that contributes to, to world peace through feeding the world. And so that is an example of many people's work around the world to utilize aspects of permaculture, aspects of, you know, the engaged practice of participating and what it means to create, you know, right livelihood and do that in a way that works for us as individuals and for our ecologies and for our communities, I think is something we're going to see a lot more of, not out of necessarily purely aspiration, but out of the reality that these are practical responses that are needed in our world to be able to live well in our places. That would be a perfect place to close this conversation, but I always like to provide some space for final thoughts. Do you have any to share with the listeners? You know, I think for me, when I look out into the world, I see these profound challenges that we're facing, and I also see these profound opportunities that are woven into uh, the world that we live in and that we're part of co-creating. And I think that what's called for, in a way, are bold and courageous responses and innovations uh, that start with this sense of who we are and, and what our stories are and uh, what it is that we really want. And, and in a sense, this deeper question of, you know, what's the highest possible purpose that we can imagine and fulfill as individuals and collectively? And I just think that there's so much fertility in living these kinds of questions together and creating opportunities and places to play with them and, and work together, you know, that I, I just feel really thankful uh, for the whole permaculture community and, and the other related communities of practice in the world that are a part of exploring these questions together. Well, thank you, Joshua, for taking the time today to sit down and talk with me and share all of this. As I explore the social and community side of permaculture more, I'm always glad to find folks who are pushing those edges further and further and helping people to see and understand how broad the umbrella is of permaculture and what we can do not only in the landscape, but also in our community with others. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much, Scott. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. And thank you so much for all your great work that you're doing. And that was Joshua Cubista. Find out more about him and his work, including information about prototyping our future, designing labs for a sustainable future, and permaculture for systemic change at joshuacubista.com. This conversation with Joshua is important to me because, and I don't mean this in a glib way, but I find that the easy work of permaculture, the space we focus on in a permaculture design course, the landscape, is well known. As I mentioned, I feel that it's kind of functionally solved 
because there are academic and other libraries full of information on how to manage plants and animals for human use. We have thousands of years of experience doing this in ways that are considerably more sustainable than modern industrial agriculture. So, you know, from my perspective, the permanent agriculture side of permaculture is upon us. We can do that. We know how. The hard part, though, is creating permanent culture, which has a completely different set of issues and requires, if you will, softer skills that are not as tangible or direct as planting a food forest or digging a swale or the dog is barking. As teachers, that includes better pedagogical approaches to teaching permaculture that includes more conversations about the invisible structures and delves deep into design, not just focus on, as so often seems to be the case, the techniques that arise from the ethics and principles, but rather to use the ethics and principles to allow students to create their own solutions independent from what we so often see in the current permaculture literature. It's almost a joke, and some folks have kind of trolled me with this, but, you know, I mentioned that swales and hugel culture are like the darkness that haunt my soul. I just seem to see them everywhere, often in cases where they're not necessary, where different work could have accomplished the same thing with a lot less labor and a lot less equipment. I know that we love regenerative earthworks and some of these other techniques, and they're cool, and it's easy for people to see them, but please, let's focus on design and take some time to think about it. It's not just about getting shit done. Because getting the work done requires a lot of thought. This is an intellectual pursuit. And, I mean, we're talking about design here. We're not talking about planting or growing. We're looking at how we actually make decisions about what we're going to do. It's not just about the doing. And so, when it comes to experiential design, we have to design an educational experience, including the classroom and curriculum, that meets the needs of students so that they have a larger toolbox of skills. Then, through this idea that Joshua presents of capacity building, to help them find the skills they need along the way. And finally, at least for this conversation, when students complete a course and go back into the world, to continue to offer ongoing mentoring and support that they can rely on when they have questions, and that connects them with or helps them to create the community they need to actually enact systemic change. It's a big picture, but I can't imagine us doing this if we weren't ready to tackle some incredibly complex issues. We can decide to use permaculture to homestead, and I think it's important, so is growing your own food, and I appreciate everybody who does that, especially because I'm not very good at it, but there is an imperative within the ethics and principles that we do more. By practicing permaculture, we're a part of a larger community. Individually, if you're listening to this show, you're a part of my community. And if you're a part of my community, there are thousands and thousands of people to call upon, to connect with, to help you. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. There's probably someone near you that I've talked to or traded email with or received from a letter from and had some kind of correspondence from Ethiopia to Southeast Asia, all over Europe, South America, North America, wherever you, you go, wherever you are, there are people practicing permaculture. And it's why at the end of every show, I share my email address and my phone number and my mailing address with you. I want to put you in touch with people who can help you change yourself and change the world, whatever it is that you're interested in. If I don't know somebody directly, then I can put a call out on the show that you're looking for someone where you are. 
And all it takes is a phone call or an email or a letter. You just need to get in touch. Call me. You know, it's why I do this. I really do think that we can make a big difference because our yields aren't just our individual work, but our connections with others and our connections within the system. And that doesn't include just the landscape, but it also includes our economic and social and political systems. Though I hate the idea of capital because of how it borrows from investing in the monetary system, we have all the capital in the world to get this done and to bring about real change. We do it every day by the choices we make. And if there's anything that I can do to work with you so that you can make this change, call me. 717-827-6266. It's a Google voice number, so if you're not necessarily somebody who wants to make a phone call but you like to text, you can send me a text message to that number, and I'll receive it. You can email me, show at permaculturepodcast.com, which is probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. Or if you like, drop something in the mail. The Permaculture Podcast, P.O. Box 16, Dauphin, Pennsylvania, 17018. From here, the next episode is a conversation with Linda Booth Sweeney about her new book, The Climate Change Playbook, which contains 22 systems thinking games that help you more effectively communicate about climate change. Probably one of the biggest human issues that we face right now. So, until the next time, spend each day creating the world that you want to live in by taking care of Earth, yourself, and each other. <laughs>